0: Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, Genesis 37, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 12. And, of course, last week uh, we went through and and considered the difference that was between Joseph and uh, his brothers, we would say oftentimes when we see a difference in individuals in that way that it has to be a result of their circumstances, their upbringing, and the situations they found themselves in. But we know that Joseph was the 11th of the, of the brothers born, right? And uh, The family that was born, and um, his brothers that are wicked and, and evil and doing all these things uh, he's alive going through some, the same situations and similar uh, scenarios as they are as well. And so it's evidently not the, the uh, upbringing that caused the difference. It's not the scenarios or situations that caused the difference. And we said what truly caused the difference was God. And we, we studied that through verses 1 through 11 last week. Now we come to verse number 12, and verse number 12 says this it says. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel uh, said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said uh, to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of uh, of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Verse number 15, And it came. And a a certain man found him, I'm sorry, and behold, he was uh, wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, uh, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, uh, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. We'll stop there for the sake of time this morning. But I wonder if we've ever been in a situation where maybe we've had some hopes or dreams, we had plans, and uh, all of a sudden those things that we planned for and hoped for and desired uh, never came to fruition or maybe they seemed like it was cu- going to take place and that just fell apart and brought heartbreak and and shattered dreams. I mean, everything was set. Everything was going in the right direction, uh, but then all of a sudden everything fell apart. Sometimes for people, it seems like life is just a series of broken dreams and heartache. You ever been there? You ever been like in a situation where, things are rough, I mean, things are tough, and you're trying to get through it, and you're just barely uh, scraping by. And then you get through that scenario or that situation, and it seems like you're making progress, and then something unexpected comes along and puts you right back into the same scenario you were just scraping by. Uh, we can maybe think of this like financially speaking, right? Uh, or we, we barely have enough money to pay the bills uh, week by week and month by month, and we finally get some things paid off to where we're putting some money away, and then a huge uh, thing happens in our home or to our vehicle, and there goes the savings account we just saved up. And it's like one thing after another. I just can never get ahead. We we might feel like that. What well, can I say this morning? I wonder if uh, I wonder if that's how Joseph felt to an extent going through life. He comes into this situation. He didn't ask for any of it. He didn't ask for his father the, to to prefer him. Over the rest he didn't ask for his brothers to hate him he didn't put he didn't do any, he didn't ask for the dreams we spoke about those dreams last week he didn't ask for any of it it's just things that happened in his life and and to him they're just normal to him it's exciting things to everyone else it's like we hate you because of it and uh, and I'm sure that that Joseph's like man one event after another uh, I just can't get ahead I just can't break through I can't break this barrier I wonder if joseph maybe questioned the dreams that god had already given him i mean in genesis 37 verses 5 through 10 we spoke of him last week evidently it seemed as if joseph was going to be the one that kind of had some leadership he had a position if you may uh those those uh, other stocks bowed down to his right and that was representing him and his brothers and then, of course, the sun, moon, and stars and all of that bowing down. And even his father was like, What are you? Is your mother and I going to bow down to you? And maybe he questioned to an extent. Uh, and surely, I mean, we didn't read this portion yet. We're going to talk about it more in depth as we get along. Surely, as his brothers ripped that special coat off of him and threw him down in a pit, ignored his pleas of being set free, ultimately selling him. As a slave, Joseph had to have felt like, what is going on here? What what in the world? Why is this happening to me? One moment he seems to be on the mountaintop. The next moment he seems to be in the valley. And my friends, we have to realize that even when we're on the mountaintops, and even when we're in the valleys, that God is in control. And we find here that, that there's some events that, if we had to write our story, if we were Joseph, and we had the ability of write ours, these events that we'll read today would not have happened, I promise you that, because none of us want to experience these things that we're going to he- read about and study in Joseph's life. None of us want to be rejected. None of us want to be. Hated. None of us want to be treated as if we were just a piece of property. None of us want those things. But these are all things that happened in Joseph's life in a span of just a, a little bit of time here in this uh, this little chapter here. And when it, in in the in the right then and the right there, it could have been hard for Joseph maybe to see that God was in control and that He had a plan. We can go back, and we've already probably read the ending of the story how Joseph's exalted, and he's the second in charge of Egypt, and he's used to save the entire world for all intents and purposes. But he would have never gotten there had these events today that we're going to study had not happened. And I don't know what kind of situation we might go through, and I don't know what type of issues that we might face that we would say, I don't want anything to do with this. I would never choose this for my life. But right here in the here and now, we won't be able to look out and see how God is working it for good. But somehow He is. There's questions to be asked and, and answers that we're begging to have answers to. Sometimes we don't get them immediately. Sometimes we won't even get them here in this life. But that doesn't mean that God's not good. and It doesn't mean that God isn't in control. So, I want to take these verses this morning that we'll study through, chapter 37, verses 12 through 35, and hopefully help us to realize that God is in charge and He's in control and He's good on the mountaintops to the valleys. From the mountaintops to the valleys, God is good. Notice first off with me the assignment that is given. We've already read these verses 12 through 14, but we find that uh, that Joseph's father Israel, he uh, comes and says to Joseph that he wants to go find his bro- he wants him to find his brothers, as they're out taking care of the flock, feeding them and check them, and he's going to send them out to be his uh, uh, not a spy necessarily, but kind of just uh, uh, almost the po- the position of a manager. Go check and see that they're doing a good job. Check and see if they need anything. All those types of things. Notice the command that he gives them gives him in this assignment. We read in verse number 12, And his brother went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send thee unto them. And he said, uh, said to him, Here am I. We find the command from, from Jacob here that he's going to send Joseph to go find his brothers and take care of them and check on their welfare. And uh, they're off away oh, tending to the family business, taking care of the flock and taking f- care of the sheep. Uh, There's a couple of reasons, possibly, though, that that Jacob, I'm sorry, might have been concerned with whether or not uh, the brothers were in good welfare and taking care of things. They were in Shechem, first and foremost. Well, if you were to take your Bibles and go back to Genesis 34, in in verses 1 through 31, uh, we find that is where uh, Simeon and Levi uh, murdered an entire village uh, trying to avenge the rape of their sister uh, Dinah, and uh, surely there was anger in their hearts. Surely there was still resentment, not only in their hearts, but also I'm sure there was anger and resentment in that region towards Joseph's fam- or uh, Jacob's family as well. And uh, so maybe he feared for their safety, and so therefore he says, "Go check on their welfare." And uh, then, secondly. Uh, his sons had also already had a track record of not doing their job correctly or diligently. We studied this last week, right? Joseph came to his father and, and uh, brought to his father a, a beautiful, blissful, flowery report of how good his brothers were. No, the Bible tells us it was actually an evil report. And, uh, and so they had a track record already. And so Jacob is sending Joseph, because uh, Joseph can be trusted, and he's sending Joseph to check on their welfare to make sure that they're okay, and, and probably to a certain extent, even to check to make sure that, they're sure that they're doing a good job and taking care of his possessions. But notice not only the command in this assignment, but consider also the confusion in this assignment. Jacob had to be a man that was completely out of touch with what, with what was going on in his family. What does verse number 11 tell us right before verse number 12 that we read today? Verse number 11 says his brethren, whose brethren? Joseph's brethren envied him, and his, but his father observed the same. My friends, he must have been totally oblivious to the fact that every, everyone else, all the other brothers, hated Joseph. I mean, why else would you send Joseph to do this job? Doesn't he have other servants? I'm sure he does. It wasn't there just simply anybody else that he could have trusted? I'm sure there was, but had he been paying attention, he would have known that Joseph's older brothers hated him. He would have known about their hat- that their hatred had been growing, and they had reached a point that they couldn't even speak to him in a kind manner. Go back to chapter four of this. I'm sorry, verse four of this same chapter. In 37, verse number 4, it says, When his brothers saw, brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Can Joseph not, or Jacob not understand this? Can he not comprehend this? Is he just confused on the matter? Either, either Jacob is completely out of touch with his family, or he's un, at the very least underestimating the extent of the problems within his own home. He may have known uh, what was uh, happening, but believed that the other boys were not capable of harming Joseph. After all, they're, they're family. There's not going to do anything to him. But as we will see, that's just simply not the case. They do want to do harm to him. I know that uh, a lot of those that have younger children, especially, are down in that other class down there with the married couples. But I do want to say this, as I am a parent myself, that we should not just be oblivious to the things that are happening in our home. We ought to pay attention to our family, especially what's going on in our children's lives. We ought to be paying attention to the things they are experiencing and the feelings that they're going through, and, and um, they need to know that, you're there, that we're there for them. They need to know that we care for them. They need to know that we are going to provide for them, and they need to know that they are on our radar. But not only do we see the assignment given, but notice the adherence to this assignment from Joseph. In verse number 37, Jacob says he's going to send his his son to go check on the brothers. And at the end of the verse of verse number 13, it says, and he said unto him, here am I. Who said that? Joseph did. Joseph immediately says, I want to obey. I want to do what you would have me to do. And his adherence to the command of his father, to the assignment that was given to him, was an immediate adherence. He didn't question. It wasn't, I mean, this is what happens nowadays. A parent calls for the children to come and do something. Hold on, I'm playing the game. Hold on, I'm doing something else. And, and, and it's not an immediate thing, but Joseph was not in that way. Maybe because he didn't have a PlayStation, I don't know, but uh, he 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 was his response and ad- adherence to what the his father had assigned him to do was an immediate adherence. See, in regards to Joseph, I said uh, week number one when we began studying his life that a lot of times Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ Himself. There's so many similarities to what Jesus would be for us and do for us that it is kind of foreshadowed uh, by Joseph, and uh, kind of points to and, and, and uh, helps us to understand that. In regards to Joseph as a type of Jesus, when Jesus came into this world, we know that he also was sent by his heavenly Father, and Jesus came willingly. He didn't come uh, to this earth uh, kicking and screaming and crying. He knew what would ultimately be the end of his time here on this earth, the cross and his burial but he also knew he would rise victoriously. And he came willingly and he came uh, desiring to help us and, be, and help uh, in our greatest need. I think Joseph not only just wanted to obey his father, but I think Joseph also loved his brothers. And if there was any sense that his brothers could be in a bad place, in a situation where others might be trying to harm them, that Joseph would want to bring the report, and bring help to their greatest need as well. Can I say that our lives, like Joseph, ought to be marked by the same level of obedience to our God, to our Father? Jacob came to Joseph and said, here's the assignment. He might have been clueless in sending Joseph, but Joseph obeyed immediately anyways. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, is not clueless. And therefore, if a human... Father, who is wicked, sinful, and clueless, can have a child who will immediately obey him, so much the more should our heavenly Father, who is perfect, have children who would obey him also. Notice that it, his adherence was not only immediate, but it also it was insistent as well. In verse number 15 through 17, it says, and certain men, uh, uh, um, it, it says, and a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked, uh, asked him, saying, what seekest thou? So here's the picture. Uh, he sends him to Shechem. Jacob sends Joseph to Shechem. And Joseph says, yes, sir, I'll go right away. He's ready to obey and, and take care of these things for his father. So he goes off to Shechem. He finds the field where he believes his brother should be uh, feeding. And he says, they're not here. Now, my mind sometimes just works this way where I picture how it is. Don't take what I'm about to say as 100% scripture, okay? Because just, it's just how I picture it. Have you ever send your, ch- your child to go look for something? And you tell them where it's at. And they go to where it's at, but they just don't see it. You know what they do? They stand there like, I don't see it it's right there on the table. No, I don't see it. Pick up that piece of paper. What paper? And, and like they do the very least, I'm, I'm not saying that's how Joseph was, but in my mind, that's how I picture it. He's wandering in this wide open field. No one's around. and like, dad said they were going to be here. I wonder why they're not here. And some r- random stranger finds him and says, what are you doing, boy? And he says, well, my, my brothers are supposed to be here uh, feeding the sheep and taking care of the flock. And my dad sent me to check on them. I don't find them. Now, to Joseph's uh, saving, I guess you could say, they weren't there. And so it wasn't like he could turn over a rock and find them. But uh, he, he, he's told, well, they're not here longer. I overheard them actually saying they were going to another area, an area called Dothan. So what does Joseph do now? Joseph goes to Dothan to find them. Can I say that Joseph's instructions were to go to Shechem and find his brothers when he didn't find them there? Some could have just turned around, went back, and said, well, I did what I was told. They're not there, Dad. They are a bunch of losers like you, like you thought. They're, not, they're up to no good all the time, and, and he could have came back and tried to um, just, I did what I was told. But whether he was wandering in the field aimlessly or whether he was just being consistent and sticking to it, he eventually found out where they were and he went and found them. He took the extra steps. He went the extra mile, if you may, my friends. And again, Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to seek the lost sheep of Israel. He pursued them with a steadfast love, but they rejected him out uh, rejected him... He continued, when, when they rejected them, he continued to pursue them, eventually dying on the cross, opening up a way for all to have salvation. My friends, we, would, we should have the same desire within our own hearts of wanting to serve the Lord and being immediately obedient to his commands and being insistent in obeying his commands as well. So first off, we've seen the assignment. Secondly, we've seen Joseph's adherence. But here we come. We're moving on now to part part where we haven't really read all of the verses through this chapter yet. And I want you to notice number three with me to this morning. Notice the abomination. We get into verse number 18. We read it already, but it says, "...and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him." And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh, come now therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said unto them, "Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might uh, that he might rid him out of their hands, uh, to deliver him to his father again." Verse number uh, twenty-three. It came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they uh, stripped him, uh, stripped Joseph out of his coat and his uh, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites uh, came from Gilead uh, with their camels bearing uh, spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, uh, and uh, they drew and lifted up G- uh, Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Verse number twenty-nine. And Reuben returned unto the pit. Behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brother and said, The child is not, and I, whether shall I go? We find here that it starts off with a plot. Here's Joseph coming through the field. He, he went to Shechem. They weren't there. He got word that they had went to Dothan, and so he starts his journey that way. They can see him afar off, and they start conspiring against Joseph. They start to say, well, let's just kill him. Let's get, our, get rid of him. If we kill him and throw his body into this pit over here, let's see what happens to his dreams now. If he's no longer alive, how can these dreams come true? This guy thinks he's so much and all of these types of things. And, and they're talking about themselves. They're literally on the verge of killing their own brother. Then one of them speaks up, of course, and says, no, let's not kill him. Let's not, uh, let's not do that type of thing. Let's just throw him in the pit. Now, he was wanting to uh, be able to leave him there, come back secretly by himself, remove Joseph out of the pit, take him back home to his father. Uh, nevertheless, we understand that in all of this, Joseph, another picture of the type of Christ and the fact that Je- Joseph, as he was coming to his brother brothers, he was hated of them. Jesus, when he came, the Bible tells us that he came unto his own, and his own received him not, and they hated him. They even hated his words. Matthew 26, verses 65 through 66 tells us that. So nevertheless, the plot was to kill him. Again, we see the proposal, though, uh, that Reuben uh, desires to not kill him, just to throw him in a pit so that he could be saved later on. And, and uh, Reuben, if you may, you could say he displays a nature that's a little different even than that of the rest of his brothers. He was wicked, and he, uh, of course, uh, was, was hateful in, in, to a certain extent, but evidently it seems to show that he had a little bit of compassion if not for Joseph himself at least for his own father uh, because he knew how it would heal how it would literally kill Jacob to know that Joseph had been uh, been uh, killed and was no longer around but when you take a step back and think about what is going on here what a wicked group of individuals these folks are, these fellows are we see the plot we see the proposal and so Somehow or another, Reuben goes off, he goes somewhere else, and while they're sitting down eating, uh, we find that they conspire a new plan together. In verses 25 through 28, they find that there's a band of uh, sellers and merchants that are coming through and they think to themselves, well, if we kill our brother, it does us no good other than just not having to deal with him any longer if we just leave him in the pit, he's going to eventually die there also. His blood's just not on our hands, technically. Uh, But we're still, all we better is that we don't have to deal with him. But if we sell him to these, these, these folks coming by as a slave, then we don't have to deal with him, one, any longer, but we also profit off of it. And so they make this plan, and the Bible tells us that he was sold, verse number 28, the Bible tells us uh, that he was sold uh, for, for 20 pieces of silver. My friends, that wasn't just the price of a slave. That was the price of a crippled slave. This is not, like, they didn't even get, Joseph's a young man. Like, he's probably still uh, got some years before him. But they, pay, they were only given the price of a slave that had been beaten and had worked for years, one that had ailments or was crippled, that couldn't do the same work that a, a fresh, young individual would have been able to do. They didn't even get a full price offer off of, this, uh, off of their brother, is what I'm saying. The, the, the degrading value that, they, that we see given here. He, in essence, you could say that his brother sold him as if he was just a piece of trash. Anybody ever collect aluminum cans? take them in, like, isn't it amazing the money we spend to get the cans and the little bit of contents inside compared to the the few, the little amount that we get in return for as we recycle it, right? In essence, that's what was taking place here. They sold him 20 pieces of silver would come out to about roughly 8 ounces of silver. You know what that comes out to in today's money? Somewhere maybe around the area of $100? Maybe. Could you imagine selling your own brother for $100? Let me think about that, actually. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> really, literally, could you think about selling your own fam- someone in your family for just $100? The brothers are so unfeeling and they're filled with hatred for Joseph. And they sell him to the merchants and they watch him haul away as just a common slave. Psalm 105 verses 17 and 18 actually tells us that Joseph's experience as a slave was anything but pleasant. But again, we find that Joseph is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that not only was he hated for, by his brethren, but he was also betrayed by one that was closest to him. Jesus, of course, betrayed by Judas, also sold to the religious crowd of that day for the price of a slave. But praise God that our Lord was willing to experience all of that on our behalf. But notice verse 29 through 30, the panic. The panic as uh, Reuben returns and finds that Joseph is not in that pit. He wanted him thrown in the pit unharmed so that he could come back secretly and take him back home but he's no longer there so he runs back to his brothers and says what in the world the, our, our, our brother's gone what is going on here and he panics because he knows that ultimately the blame is going to be put on to him rumen has been on the outs with jacob if you may ever since uh, he had committed adultery with his father's wife bilhah But these verses actually go on to give us a little bit of hope, at least, that Reuben is maturing into someone uh, that is actually resembling a leader other than someone who just goes off of a whim. But notice, lastly with me this morning, the anguish as we come into verses 31 through 35. And they took Joseph's coat, killed a kid uh, uh, of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors uh, and they brought it uh, to their father and said, "This have we found. Know now uh, whether it be thy son's coat or no." And he knew it and said, "It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt uh, rent in pieces." And Jacob rent his clothes and put on, <coughs> I'm sorry, put sackcloth upon his loins and and mourned for his son many days. Notice verse number thirty-five. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The scheme of these young men to try to be able to cover up their tracks, to take the coat uh, that, that Joseph had been wearing, the one that had been given to him by his own father, and to shred it into pieces. And then even take <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the uh, the the goats there, the, the child goats, and to slay it and to use its blood to cover it to make it look like Joseph had been devoured, had been destroyed and rent and eaten by some wild beast, and then come to their father and say, "We found this along our journey as we were coming back, and it kind of resembles Je- Joseph's coat." But we don't know, is it Joseph's coat father? Of course, their father had to say, yes, it is. And there's, there's no compassion for their father. There's no real, even though we read that it says that they rose up and tried to uh, comfort him. Where was their comfort when they, di- c- they conspired all this, when they schemed against him? Where was their comfort, where was their compassion when they started thinking about how they were going to cover their own own rear ends, as opposed to thinking about how it would just devastate and destroy their father. Most definitely, they are not displaying Christ-likeness in their life. See, our walk with the Lord is to be marked by a desire to put others ahead of ourselves. Actually, Philippians 2 tells us that. We don't see that happening in the case of these young men. Our walk also as believers is to be marked by a desire to help ease the burdens of others as we read in Galatians 6 and chapter 6 and verse number 2. We don't see that taking place in these young men's life. Our walk as believers is to be marked by a Christ-like love for those who are around us as we read in Matthew 22, 39, 1 John 3, verse number 14, 1 John 4, 8, and 1 John 4, 20. But we don't see any of those things happening. We don't see that resembled by his brothers here. And that brought anguish and sorrow. It brought sorrow to Jacob's heart. Verse number 33 through 35, we read that Jacob recognizes the coat, and and he knows that it belongs to Joseph, and he knows that in his mind and in his heart, he thinks that Joseph must have been killed. Could you imagine the uh, feeling that Jacob had to have felt? We talked about Joseph feeling like, Somehow the Lord was working in his life and was going to give him something, but then at every turn it kind of fell away and like, I can never get out of this. Could you imagine how Jacob feels? All those years praying and longing for his beloved wife to have a child, and she was barren, and couldn't have one, finally he has one, and now in just a few short years in all, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, he thinks he's no longer with him. He thinks he's lost him. Where's God at now? Why would God allow such a thing to happen? And notice the shame that is revealed here as we go to verse number 35 again, that the daughters and sons rose up to try to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I'll go down into the grave unto my son's mourning. These hard-hearted men reveal their hypocrisy as they are the ones who caused this problem but then try to come along and pretend that they want to help them through it. See, the best thing that you and I can do with our wrongs is to make them right if we can. We ought to apologize to people if we've offended them. We ought to try to restore what we have taken. We need to be honest about our sin. And the only way to get rid of guilt is to truly deal with the wrong that has been committed. What's 1 John 1, 9 tell us? For faithful and just, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, if we are ever going to deal with the issues, we got to deal with it God's ways. We can't expect to be able to hide it or brush it under the rug and say, well, that's going to, no, we've got to deal with it the way God says to deal with it. <clears throat> truly as we stop here this morning this is a sad place to end cuz there's no hope on the horizon like if we didn't know the rest of the story already and we just stopped right here we like who wrote this story you ever watch a movie or or you're watching a TV series and it comes to the end of that hour of the series and you're like you think that you're going to see the conclusion of it and then it's over And it says, wait till next week. you're like, I can't wait till next week. I got to know what happens now. Like if we didn't know the rest of the story, that if we stopped right here right now, like we're stopping right here right now, we would think, what in the world? Because there seems to be no hope in sight. Here's Jacob who thinks that his son, his most beloved son is dead. Here's the rest of the brothers who know exactly what have happened, but they're having to live with a lie uh, in order to keep themselves from having a a horrible relationship with their father. Uh, Joseph, yes, he's alive, thank God, but he's a slave. He's on some wagon somewhere being taken into Egypt. It seems like there's nothing good that could ever come out of this. See, as Joseph's having the dreams, it seems like everything's great. Oh, I can't wait till God does something great with me. And then all of a sudden he goes from the mountaintop right to the valley. For Jacob, it's like, I finally have a son from my beloved wife. And then all of a sudden the son's gone. I mean, where they went from mountaintop to valley, but I'm here to tell you this morning that from mountaintop to valley, no matter where we stand at any given point in our life, God is still in control. We have the opportunity to look back on Joseph's life now and see how God used all these seemingly devastating situations to be able to bring about the greatest good. We might be experiencing that valley situation in our life right now, and we can't see into the future of ourselves. But can I say God is already in our tomorrow? And He knows the, the plan that He's working out. We just need to depend on Him, rely on Him, and stay faithful because He's got a plan that is greater than anything we could ever conjure up. Our Father, we do thank You for this morning. In this story of Joseph and the life that he lives, how he shows us an example of faithfulness through every situation, and God, how we can see that no matter the circumstances as well and by what we're surrounded with, we can still be faithful to you and rely on you and follow you. Lord, I ask now that you help us to just realize that whether it's the mountaintop that we're on at this moment or whether it's the valley, that you're good and you're in control. And that you have all things in your hands. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.